This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 148. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere. So, let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 6 of my Metamore City novel, The Lost and the Least. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 143 to hear this story from the beginning. I'm pressed for time this week, so we're going to skip the recap and go right to the story. Here is Chapter 6. The Lost and the Least A Novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 6 So, Morgan tells me it's your birthday this Saturday. Kate, who had been drifting blissfully in a post-coital haze, needed a few seconds to realize John had been speaking to her. What? John rolled over onto his side to face her, tracing the tip of his tail over her hips. Your birthday, he said again. You're going to be what, thirty? Kate frowned and tried to remember what year it was. I'm twenty-nine. Want to do anything special for it? John asked. Kate rubbed her forehead and groaned. Well, I've got a fucked up swoop that needs fixing. I should call Callie, see if she can give me a hand on that. Mm-hmm, John said. What about that evening? What did you have in mind? John's tail continued its explorations, following the curves of her body up to her shoulder, then tracing a line down her clavicle and between her breasts. I was thinking it would be nice to have a night out with friends. We could invite Morgan, your friend Callie, maybe have them bring a couple of dates. It would be fun. Kate's stomach clenched. She looked away. I don't know. I'm not really feeling in a celebratory mood lately. That's because you're depressed, John said evenly. Actually, you're depressed and anxious, which is worse. You're shutting out your friends because everybody knows you're the cheerful, bouncy, happy-go-lucky one, and you don't want them to see you like this. Which is the last thing in the world you should be doing. Kate rolled over and turned her back to him. Since when are you my therapist? she muttered. I'm not trying to be your therapist, I'm trying to be your friend, John said. Since I'm apparently the only one you're willing to be around right now. Kate made a grumbling noise. Yeah, well, you give really good orgasms. John nestled in behind her, wrapping his arm around her belly. She didn't pull away. It felt good being in his arms. She hated herself for wanting him so much. Morgan misses you a lot, you know, John said quietly. She doesn't have many friends anymore. I know, Kate murmured. So call her, 
John urged. For one night, forget about the job, forget about the worries. Let's just go somewhere to eat and drink and laugh with someone who loves you. It will help, I promise. Kate put her hand over John's, let her fingers interlace with his. Okay. They lay there until Kate dozed off again. It wasn't the same downy white nothingness that she got right after feeding John, but she didn't dream, so that was a plus. They finally got up sometime in mid-afternoon. Kate didn't bother looking at the clock because it wasn't like she had anywhere she had to be anyway. She called Callie to set up the repair session for her swoop, then texted Morgan about the birthday dinner. Morgan was doubtless asleep and would be until nightfall, but she was prompt about returning messages once she got them. It would give Kate time to think of where she wanted to eat anyway. Kate was about to put her phone away when it chimed with an email notification. The pop-up message at the top of the screen showed the author, Captain Rowan Shaw, MCPD. Huh, Kate said. That's weird. John, who had been brewing up a fresh pot of coffee in the kitchen, stuck his head back into the bedroom. What's weird? Kate swiped over to our notifications menu and brought up the email. She scanned over it quickly, frowning. The captain of SID wants to meet with me. SID? John asked. A special investigations division, Kate clarified. They're, um, like the elite supercop squad. Terrorism, kidnappings, hostage situations, criminal conspiracies. Got it, John said. Does he say why he wants a meeting? Kate read through the email again. It wasn't very long. They just said they want to discuss my future with the department. They? Yeah, Shaw's an androgyne. Kate looked up at John, a queasy mixture of trepidation and excitement in her stomach. This could be really good or really bad. John leaned back against the doorframe, his tail swishing. I assume the really good is if they want you to work for them. Is that a possibility? Kate scoffed and threw up her hands. Hells if I know. I mean, I'm under investigation for a shooting. That doesn't exactly spell model cop. Yes, but you foil the syndicate attack inside the Citadel in the process, John pointed out. Do you suppose they got word of what happened? Maybe, Kate said, dubiously. I mean, if anyone in MCPD could, it would be SID. But that's the bad thing, too. I got into that case because I was working a missing persons case for the Minister of Intelligence. What if Shaw knows about that? Missing persons is SID turf. They might be pissed that I was horning in on it. Is Shaw the kind of person who's likely to get pissy about that? John asked. That's the thing. I don't know. Kate shook her head. It's not like SID cops and precinct cops run in the same circles. I have no idea what kind of person Shaw is, other than insanely talented, obviously. John nodded thoughtfully. Well then, sounds like you'd better meet them and find out. Did they give you a time? Kate checked the email again. No, it just says, at your earliest convenience. John smiled. Well, no time like the present. Get dressed, I'll take you there. Kate looked in the mirror at her bed-must hair, then down at the sticky residues of the afternoon's play. Um, maybe I'd better shower first. Even with the shower and the mid-afternoon metamore traffic, 
Kate and John still made it to the SID offices before five. SID was based out of the MCPD headquarters in Valley Central Borough, a couple of blocks south of the Citadel. HQ occupied the middle three-fifths of Justice Tower, one of the few super-skyscrapers that did not belong to one of Metamore's powerful noble houses. The building was covered with reflective blue glass, accented in gold trim, and the seal of the Metamore City Police Department hung ten meters wide above the main entrance on the second skyway level. John entered the tower and took them to the visitor parking level. Since Kate was on administrative leave, she didn't have her badge to gain access to the officer-reserved spaces. They took an express lift up to the vicinity of the third skyway level, where SID's offices were located. They passed through metal detectors and enchantment dispellers. The latter forced John to shift back to his natural incubus form, which made the guard on duty spit out her coffee in astonishment. John winked at her and smiled, and she sank back into her chair, staring. No one made any attempt to stop them. Once inside the security checkpoint, John shifted back into a human form, and they followed the signs to the SID offices. A receptionist took down Kate's name, and they took their seats in a small but lavishly appointed waiting room. When Kate's name was called, John waved her on without him. This is your meeting, not mine, he said. He had a magazine open on his lap, but his eyes flitted over to the receptionist, who was looking at him like a tiger looks at a steak. Kate could have sworn the woman's mouth was watering. You behave yourself, she muttered under her breath, then followed her escort back through the halls of special investigations. Kate was immediately struck by the differences to the Precinct 9 station house, Everything at Precinct 9 had a well-worn, lived-in look, from the cracked leather of the office chairs to the magic labs with their decades-old spellbooks. The carpets were thin and marked with coffee and cigarette stains, the wallpaper hadn't been replaced since Kate's childhood years, and the uniformed cops worked in a broad, old-fashioned bullpen with freestanding wooden and steel desks pushed together into small clusters in an otherwise open floor plan. It looked like you'd expect an urban police station to look, in a film from twenty or thirty years ago. The SID office, by contrast, reminded Kate of one of those near-future science fiction films. Screens were mounted everywhere, showing important announcements, monthly statistics, and live vid feeds from detectives and camera drones in the field, as well as local news coverage and up-to-the-minute traffic conditions. Every officer had his or her own cubicle with a state-of-the-art computer terminal. The station buzzed with the low-level background noise of any office, but everything seemed calmer and more contained than at Precinct 9. Kate heard very little in the way of small talk. Her escort, a short theriomorph woman with the form of a snow leopard, brought her to an office with a solid wooden door and a brass nameplate reading Captain Rowan Shaw. Kate supposed that frosted glass doors must be out of fashion these days. The escort knocked twice. Come in, called a strong alto voice. The leopard woman opened the door. Lieutenant Contains here for you, Captain. Excellent. Send her in, Lizzie. The escort smiled and gestured to Kate, who took a deep breath and went inside. 
The figure who stood behind the marble-top desk was not especially tall, but there was an energy about them that seemed to fill the room. Rowan Shaw was an androgyne in their late forties, with a slim, muscular build, light brown skin, and short black hair peppered with gray. Kate could not tell, at that moment, whether the captain was in their male or female form. Shaw wore a regulation dark blue uniform that had obviously been tailored to their slender body, but if they currently had breasts or female hips, the uniform did not make these obvious. Shaw's face was attractive, with sharp cheekbones, a strong chin, and large, arresting hazel eyes, but it was a face Kate could have envisioned on either a somewhat masculine woman or a somewhat feminine man. Kate didn't know what to think. Androgynes almost invariably went to the extremes of gender expression, fully embracing their ability to live life in two very different modes. Captain Shaw seemed to have chosen a different path, standing firmly in the place of maximum gender ambiguity. One thing Shaw had not given up, however, was the androgyne charisma. The captain fixed their eyes on Kate and smiled broadly, then sprang around their desk with the energy of a person half their age. Lieutenant Katane, welcome, welcome. Kate tried to bow, but instead Shaw came in close, gripping Kate's forearms in the ancient gesture of friendship. Thank you so much for making the time to see me, Shaw said, beaming up at her. Kate was a full decimeter taller than Shaw, but if the androgyne was intimidated by her height, they gave no sign of it. Please, come have a seat. Can I get you anything? Um, coffee? Kate said, feeling a little overwhelmed. Black, please. Easily done. Lizzie? Aye, Captain. The leopard morph left them, closing the door behind her. Shaw gestured Kate to a low-backed chair in front of the desk, while the androgyne returned to the office chair behind it. Kate noticed that Shaw's desk looked more like her own than Montgomery's, a barely controlled chaos of overlapping projects and overflowing binders. The sight of it, strangely, made her feel a little more at ease. Shaw sat on the edge of their chair, leaning forward halfway across the desk, their eyes fixed on Kate. Do you know I've been wanting to speak to you for more than a month? Shaw confided. Er, no, Kate admitted. Why's that, uh, ma'am? Shaw smiled tolerantly. Sure, ma'am works. And with that, Shaw's features shifted subtly. And with just that slight nudge, Kate's subconscious mind could now identify her clearly as a woman. I've been looking into you since the incident at the Citadel, Shaw said. Whenever a police officer gets commended for exceptional service and then put on administrative leave, my ears go up. It usually means there's someone worth paying attention to. Kate looked down at her hands. Thanks, I think. Mostly it seems to have gotten me the front row seat in a lot of uncomfortable meetings. Shaw laughed, a low, rich sound that reminded Kate of Morgan's voice. Oh, internal affairs... The Monday morning armchair captains of the police world. I've often wondered, is having a grounding in reality a disqualifying condition for them, or do they just have it surgically removed? Kate laughed in spite of herself. She'd never met a police captain who spoke like this. It was refreshing. Yeah, I don't know. They're not all bad, and I know we need them, but... She shrugged. 
But they're not the ones in the field, Shaw said seriously. They're not the ones faced with the choices, making the tough calls. They don't remember what it's like to be real police. Lizzie knocked again and re-entered, bringing two steaming mugs with her. She set them in front of Kate and Shaw and left without another word. Shaw raised her mug to Kate in a salute. Kate returned it, and they drank together. The coffee, Kate was not surprised to discover, was excellent. So I've been looking at your service record, Shaw said. She clicked the mouse on her computer a few times and consulted the screen. Started out in narcotics, worked a few years in homicide, promoted to lieutenant of magic affairs in 98, four commendations for bravery, a fully formed persona for undercover work, and an adepta exempta from the Rasmussen School of Illusion. Shaw raised an eyebrow at her. When do you sleep, lieutenant? Kate's lip quirked. Mostly I don't, ma'am. Me either, Shaw admitted. I figure I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? She looked back at the monitor again. This is a terrific record, Lieutenant. You're obviously smart, you're talented on a number of valuable levels, and you've got detective experience in three different areas of police work. I'm honestly a little surprised you haven't applied to SID already. Yeah, well, Kate said... My partner says I have the political acumen of an exceptionally cheerful herding dog. Shaw slapped her desk with a palm and laughed out loud. Lieutenant Silverleaf said that. <laughs> oh, I like him already. Her expression sobered again. It's true. SID is high profile. Whenever we make a major bust, we have cameras in our faces everywhere we go, for days. You have to know how to manage the press but that's something I can teach you. I don't have time to teach people to be good police, the kind who take initiative and look for unconventional solutions to difficult problems. So when I find a cop like that, I do my best to collect them for my team, especially if I think they aren't being treated fairly where they're at. Kate kept her expression carefully neutral. Cops didn't rat out other cops, especially not the members of their own precinct. What have you heard, ma'am? That your staff psychologist isn't letting you back on active duty, even though the Board of Inquiry cleared you of any wrongdoing, Shaw said. That you want to get back to work, but he won't approve your FFDE. Is that true? Kate looked down at her hands. Her knuckles were white against the armrests of her chair. Yeah, he thinks there's something wrong with my head. Shaw leaned in, her gaze intense. And what do you think, Lieutenant? Kate made an exasperated noise. Honestly, I think being off-duty this long might be making me crazy. I need to work. I need to do something. Shaw nodded thoughtfully. Tell you what. My people see a lot more shootouts than the average cop. Inquiry boards happen to someone at SID four or five times a year so we've streamlined the process for getting our officers back on active duty. We have our own staff psychologist, and he knows how to trust his brothers and sisters in arms. Shaw opened a hand in invitation. Put in for a transfer to SID, Lieutenant. I can damn well use you, and I'll make sure you get back out in the field where you belong. Kate sat back in her chair, stunned. What about Dr. Tamlin? Can you really just transfer one of his patients in the middle of an assessment? 
Once you're in my division, you're my responsibility, Shaw said. Dr. Tamlin could file a grievance, but I don't think that'll be a problem. The commissioner trusts my judgment about my people. If I have to, I'll go talk to Tamlin myself. Kate thought hard. What about David? We've been partners for years. He's half the reason I'm as effective as I am. I believe it, Shaw said, nodding. I also notice he's not around, and nobody's talking about why. She put up her hands in a forestalling gesture. I'm not going to ask you to reveal anything classified, but can you tell me if this is a long-term assignment, or does he plan to come back? David's coming back, Kate said firmly. I hope, she added silently. The Majestrix hadn't exactly explained what all she had in mind for David's role in Telvar. All right, Shaw said. In that case, he'll have a standing offer in SID when he gets back. By that time, you'll probably be up to speed on how we do things here, so I figure we can partner you both up again pretty fast. She smiled. Anything else? I should mention that all SID positions come with a generous pay differential because of the dangerous cases we work. I can get you a salary quote if you're interested. Thanks, Kate said, her mind racing. This was really happening. Special investigations! She had a shot at the big leagues. A chance to not only get back in the game, but to play at the highest level. A chance to take down the biggest, deadliest bad guys in the city. Tell me something, Captain, she said slowly. If I do join SID, will we be going after Malcomard Valos? Shaw's mouth split into a broad, fierce grin. Let me show you something. She got up, beckoned Kate to follow, and led her down the hall and around the corner to a large conference room. You know SID deals with racketeering and organized crime, Shaw said, switching on the light. Here's where we keep track of our active investigations. The walls of the room were covered with mugshots, surveillance photos, and public records about hundreds of known or suspected criminals. On one wall, the pictures were connected by lines of red yarn tied to pushpins, like an enormous family tree. And at the top of the tree, smiling genially in his thousand-mark suit, was a publicity photo of Malcolm Ardvalos. Public enemy number one, Shaw said. Her voice carried a mixture of overt satisfaction and a simmering anger underneath. If we can get the proof to nail him, the slippery bastard. Kate nodded a quivering excitement growing in her belly. For the first time in weeks, she felt alive. Alive and ready to hunt. Okay, she said. I'm in. And that's the end of Chapter 6. Come back next time for Chapter 7, when Callie brings Will to meet her old mentor. No writing update this week, folks. I'm making final preparations for my wedding next week, so I've got two episodes to put together in one week's time. Come back for episode 150, and I'll let you know how things have been going. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641 715 3900 
then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Mastodon handle is at author Chris Lester at wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2018 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.